Gary Klein is a, research, uh, a researcher in the area of what we call behavioral uh, economics or uh, psychology, and he specializes in decision-making. And several years ago, he did a really fascinating study, and what he did was he made a video of six people, uh, unidentified people, giving CPR uh, to a person who needed CPR. And so this was videotaped. I'm sure the person was acting. They were not actually receiving CPR at the moment. But my understanding of the research is, is he videotapes these six anonymous people giving CPR uh, to this person. And then the point of the study was, is he showed this video to two different groups. The first group was actual paramedics who regularly perform CPR. And they were asked the question, if you needed CPR, which of these six unidentified people would you want to perform CPR on you? Now the thing he didn't tell them was of the six, one of the people was an actual paramedic who regularly gave CPR. And so as they're watching this video and get to choose which of these six people they would like to have give CPR to them, I'd like you to guess what percentage of actual paramedics watching the video picked the paramedic, who they don't know is a paramedic, in the video to give them CPR? What percentage do you think? 2%, 20%, 100%? Zero percent? The answer in that study was 90%. 90% of actual paramedics just watching six seemingly random individuals chose the one person among the six who was an actual paramedic. And what they said was, their comments were, that person just kind of seemed to know what they were doing. And so they felt very confident they wanted that person to give them CPR. Now the second group that Gary Klein showed this video to was people who were instructors in giving CPR. They were not themselves paramedics, but they trained people in CPR. I'd like you to guess what percentage of people who were CPR instructors picked the paramedic out of the six? 50, zero again. <laughs> Okay, we've covered most of the numbers, good. <laughs> the actual, actual number was 30%. And Gary Klein's sort of uh, conclusion was, those who are experts in teaching CPR seem to be novices at recognizing when it's well done. Now I read about that study this past week in a book uh, entitled Wait. Uh, the Useful Art of Procrastination <laughs> by a guy named Frank Portnoy. It was actually a pretty interesting book. But this book is in the burgeoning field of behavioral economics and decision making. But the irony of reading about that study where the instructors seem to not be very gifted at recognizing reality was that in this field of behavioral economics, there has been tons of studies given into, or given to trying to make decisions in the right way. 
And the irony is, is the more time and effort and energy we spend studying making decisions does not seem to have made us better decision makers. And although we have people who are very learned when it comes to decision making, they don't seem, and we generally as a society don't seem to be making better decisions. Another area where sort of all of the research and science don't seem to have yielded much fruit has to do with the origins of life. We've spent trillions of dollars in untold numbers of manpower, brain power, effort doing studies, mathematics, science, research, trying to figure out the origins of life. And yet apart from the revelation of God, we haven't seemed to figure out where life came from. Or consider the field of biblical hermeneutics, the sort of like scholarly study of the Bible. That for the past 200 years, both conservatives and liberals alike, theologically, have been trying to figure out a sort of hermeneutical method that will enable us to study the Bible more scientifically to get the right interpretation out of various passages in the Bible. And yet, that seems to have borne no fruit. In fact, John Goldengay, who is himself a biblical commentator, recently wrote that the scholarly commentaries produced, all of them, produced in the last 200 years, he pronounced them all useless for hearing God speaking through scriptures. I remember John Piper making the same point at a sermon that I heard him preach at Dallas Theological Seminary. He got up and said he had a room full of commentaries and they were all useless for helping him hear God's voice speaking to him through the scriptures. As a seminary student, I was offended by the comment. As a pastor, I think it's totally right on. Now the thing I'm trying to say, which I'm not saying very eloquently, but the thing about somehow learning and science and knowledge and academia and all of this stuff getting in the way of actual understanding, this is what I'm trying to communicate. I don't have a name for this thing, but others have identified it. A guy named T.S. Eliot, who's a poet, says it much more eloquently than I could. He says it this way, the endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. And he is a Christian, so this is why this last phrase makes so much sense. Knowledge of words but ignorance of the word. Paul says it more pejoratively in 2 Timothy 3, that these are people who are always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. The fountainhead for this idea that somehow scholarly is not a compliment in the Christian world, and that somehow academic is not a word we would ever use to describe Jesus. The fountainhead for this idea is Jesus himself in a passage we're going to look at this morning. 
as he tries to help us to understand that wisdom and learning and knowledge is not really the key to rest and peace in the midst of a worry, weary and burdened world. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, the church Bibles, that's page 792. Matthew chapter 11. Page 792. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's a gospel story and it is describing for us and communicating to us who Jesus is and what it is he said and did while he was present here on this earth. And more than that, it's him speaking to us today through his word. We're going to begin in verse 20. It says right under there, Woe to unrepentant towns. This is the section we're going to begin with. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to heavens? the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Why was it so difficult for CPR instructors to recognize when CPR was actually happening in the right way? Well, when Gary Klein conducted this research, he asked what people were looking for. Interestingly, the actual paramedics said when they watched the video, they just, those people seem like that one person seemed like he knew what he was doing. And so I would like him to perform CPR on me if I ever needed it. The instructors, the most common answer was, well, that the people on the video were not doing CPR the way they instructed people to do CPR. They didn't measure with their hands exactly where they were supposed to be placing them and other things that they thought were so important in the teaching of it but which turned out to be not that important in the actual practice of it. Why did Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum not recognize Jesus as the Messiah? It's because they were doing this same thing. They were those who were teaching and studying and looking for the Messiah. I've been to what were the synagogues, at least in Chorazin uh, and Capernaum. The ruins of them are still there. I've stood in those ruins. This was the place where teachers of the law and Pharisees lived and worked and studied. And what they spent most of their time studying was, and teaching others, was looking for the Messiah. And if there was ever a group of people that you would have thought would be ready to accept the Messiah when he came, it would be those who spent their entire careers studying the Messiah. 
but somehow their teaching got in the way of what they should be looking for. Jesus spells out this principle that we're trying to talk about this morning, this idea that somehow our study and our academia and our scholarly work actually gets in the way of seeing the truth. He spells it out in a very profoundly simple way. Verses 25 and 26. At that time, meaning that this section goes with the previous section. So when Jesus denounces these Jewish cities with the synagogues and the scholarly study and all of the pursuit of the knowledge of the Messiah, but yet have no actual belief in the Messiah, at that time, Jesus sees what's going on and then says this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Why are CPR instructors unable to recognize Jesus at work and somebody helping him do CPR? Why are behavioral economists have such a difficult time recognizing good decision-making and making good decisions that comes from the Lord? Why do scientists have such a hard time recognizing a creator behind the creation of this world? Why do people who study the Bible in such scholarly, academic ways have such a difficult time hearing God actually speak through scriptures? Jesus says it's because... God planned it this way. This is not some unfortunate accident that all of the scientists who are studying the origins of life have not been able to figure out that Jesus created the whole world. It's not an accident that people who are studying decision-making in a very academic, scholarly, sort of seemingly informed way are unable to make good decisions themselves or recognize good decisions being made. It's not an accident. It is the purposeful plan of God. Do you hear what Jesus says? I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things. You've hidden them. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. It brings God great pleasure to hide truth from the wise and learned and reveal it to children. He loves doing this he loves hiding things from the wise and learned this pleases him this is his plan this is not just an unhappy accident it's not just an unfortunate coincidence that those who study the origins of life apart from revelation from God are unable to find God in the origins of life Why? Why would God do this? Why would he purposely keep things from the wise and learned and reveal it to children? Well, here we have come to the heart of the matter. And it's in verse 27. 
All things have been committed to to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now this is a momentous and important statement, but to understand what's being said here, we have to back up a little into the beginning of Matthew chapter 11. We covered this passage, I think, about three weeks ago, but let me remind you what's there because what's at the end of Matthew 11 goes with what's at the beginning of Matthew 11. At the start of this chapter, John the Baptist is in prison. And in the midst of his suffering, he's got a question. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Even a practitioner, even somebody who is regularly engaged, is having difficulty recognizing Jesus as the Messiah because of the suffering that he's going through. We have the same issues. When a loved one dies, that we don't think it's time yet for them to die. When we're sure God is going to do something and he does something different. When we ask God to intervene and he doesn't, when we see evil prospering in the world, we come away and think, man, this is complex stuff. Life is hard. And you try to wrestle through these questions and you think, why would God do this? And why would somebody be okay with that? And why does this work this way? And as you see suffering in life, you realize life is complex and it's outside of our control. This is one of the things about growing up is you realize that life is hard. (laughs) Life's complex. And maybe when you're younger, you think, well, when I'm older, I'll be able to control these kinds of things. The truth of the matter is we're even less in control than we ever thought we would be. But the same thing is true for intellectual inquiry. As you study behavioral economics, you realize decision-making is complex. As you study science and the origins of life, you realize there's some really deep, hard to understand stuff going on here. As you go through scholarly hermeneutics and the methods of interpretation, you realize, man, interpreting text is complex, it's difficult, it's hard. And when that happens, there's a real temptation to think that if there are complex questions, to search for complex answers to those complex questions in order to bring some level of control to what appears to be an out of control world. And that's where the problem is. Because do you see what verse 27 is talking about? It's not talking about complex answers to complex questions. It's talking about a person. The reason why behavioral economists can't figure out a model for making decisions is because they're looking for a model for making decisions instead of a good shepherd who leads and guides. The reason why scientists have such a hard time figuring out the origins of life is because they are looking for complex ideas and answers to complex questions. They're looking for mathematical formulas and scientific explanations when what they should be looking for is a person 
Jesus, the creator of the world. The reason why scholarly biblical hermeneutics, whether conservative or liberal, have such a hard time coming up with a model or a method for interpreting text is because they're looking for a method for interpreting text instead of looking for a person, Jesus, who is the word of God and who speaks his word to us. This is why it pleases God to hide things from the wise and learned and reveal it to children because children are primarily relational, not intellectual. Children are about relationships, not ideas. And God did not give us answers to our questions. He gave us a person, Jesus. God himself come in the flesh. Sometimes Jesus does answer our questions. Sometimes Jesus does explain what's going on. Sometimes Jesus heals when we ask him. Sometimes Jesus punishes sin the way we think he ought to punish sin. But a lot of times he doesn't. But what God has not given to us is answers to questions. He's not given us ideas, he's not given us models, he's not given us methods. What he's given us is a person, his son. And children intuitively get that life is about relationships, not ideas. And so it pleases God to do this because of Jesus. Which leads us to three of the most beautiful and powerful verses in the entire Bible. It's the benediction we've been saying for this section of Matthew. Listen to it now in the context of what's come before. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, and then it doesn't say, and learn about me. What does it say? Learn from me. In the midst of our weariness and our burdens, we're looking for answers. And that's not what Jesus is offering. He's offering himself to walk alongside of us to cry with us, to encourage us, to tell us not to be afraid. Sometimes he answers our questions. Sometimes he does exactly what we're asking him to do. Sometimes he doesn't. But every time, he walks with us. And so the invitation here is, those of us who are weary and burdened, 
The problem is, is we go looking for answers in the scholarly world. We go looking for academic answers. And anybody who can present to us something that sounds complex enough to solve our complex problems, we think that's right. And what we're missing is, is that God didn't give us complex answers to complex questions. He gave us a person. And that person says... If you are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Learn from me. In the midst of our weariness and the burdensome hardship of living in this world, God did not give us the idea of Jesus. He gave us Jesus. So what should we take away from this? Two things for us today that I hope you hear God saying to you and to me from this passage. Number one, we should praise God for this. Verse 25, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, that you have hidden things from the wise and the learned and revealed it to children. It's not just a happy coincidence that God has hidden these things from the academic, from the scholarly, from the learned, from the knowledge, from the questions, from the intelligence. That's not just a happy accident. It's something to praise God for doing. Could you imagine if it was otherwise? Could you imagine how complex things would be if we had to try to figure all of this stuff out intellectually? Could you imagine how many classes we would have to take? How many experiments we would have to go through? How much complex mathematical and scientific and psychological stuff we would have to try to understand? Could you imagine if the key to overcoming weariness and burdensomeness was trying to figure life out? Could you imagine how hard that would be? God could have done it that way. He could have said to us, hey, look, I gave you brains. Figure this stuff out. You made a mess of this world. You figure it out. And to be honest, we would spend the rest of human existence trying to solve the problems we created and never get there. So this is a reason to praise God. You don't have to have a degree in behavioral economics to make good decisions. You just need a good shepherd who leads you and guides you into what's right and true. You don't have to understand complex mathematical formulas. Can I get an amen to that? You don't have to understand complex scientific stuff to realize that Jesus is the creator of the world. That's good news. You don't have to have a degree in biblical hermeneutics. You don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to try to think through methods of hermeneutics and how all of that stuff happens in order to open this up and to hear Jesus, the word of God, speak to you through his word. That's something to praise God for. It's good news that God has chosen to do it this way. And Jesus says, thank you, Father. Praise you, Father. This was a brilliant plan. And it comes out of the kindness of his heart. He could have made this super, super complex. He could have made it unattainable. What he could ask from us is a kind of knowledge and a learning and a wisdom that we would never get to no matter how much education and training and experiments we go through. Instead, in his kindness, he said, I'm not going to give you formulas. I'm not going to give you degrees. I'm not going to give you education. 
I'm going to give you my son. And we should praise God for that. The second thing we should take from this is the invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How? David says it this way in Psalm 119. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more insight than all of my teachers because I meditate on your word. The gift of the gospel of Matthew, and of course of the whole Bible, but we're in Matthew, is that if you take this book, this gospel, these 28 chapters, and you read it, and you meditate on it, and you memorize it, and you think about it, and you spend time in it, you will meet Jesus in these pages. Not if you study it and analyze it and try to take it apart. Being a scholar of the Gospel of Matthew would actually be a hindrance to hearing Jesus' voice in Matthew. But he wrote this for you and me so that we might be able to experience his presence. So here is the invitation, and please don't miss it. It's an invitation. Hear God saying this to you Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Come to me and I will give you rest. It's an invitation. Jesus is saying, if you try to find rest by figuring out, okay, well, what's the science of rest? How does rest happen? What are good practices that other people are using for rest? That will not make you less weary. It will make you more weary. But if you and I will respond to the invitation and take this book and read it, not just come on Sunday mornings and listen, this is important, but Sunday afternoons and Tuesday evenings and Thursday mornings, if you will spend time in this book, this is the promise of Jesus, you will find rest. And you might be like, well, I don't know how to study this thing. That's perfectly fine. You don't have to do what I do up here. This is what God asked me to do. It's not what he asked you to do. All he's asked you to do is come and learn from me. You just read it. You're like, well, I'll be confused. That's okay. In it, you will meet and experience the living God, Jesus, who wrote this. This is not like any other book in that way. We're not trying to study it and trying to figure out good hermeneutical methods. What we're doing is we're trying to meet a person. And so here is the invitation. And again, it's so hard to give up all of the wise and the learned because we're like, but man, I just I saw this really great study about how to, get, how to get more rest. And I'm on social media and I'm listening to all these different people tell me how to feel less burdened. And I'm going, 
my encouragement is that doesn't going to make you less weary or burdened. This is the invitation. Put that stuff away and spend time in this. I'm not saying that stuff is evil or wrong. I'm just saying God has chosen to hide it from the wise and the learned. Let's not be foolish and keep pursuing finding rest in the midst of weariness and burdenness by pursuing the wise and the learned. There's lots of stuff on the internet. There's lots of stuff in libraries. There's lots of stuff all over the world that looks like it's going to help us with our weariness and our burdens. But the invitation of Jesus is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you are weary and burdened, the challenge and the invitation from Jesus himself to you today, stop looking for rest in academic studies. Stop looking for rest on news media. Stop looking for rest in social media. Stop looking for rest in all the advice that everybody around you wants to give you. Pick up the Gospel of Matthew and spend as much time as possible reading it, thinking about it, meditating on it, asking questions about it, going over it in your heart and mind. And in it, what you will receive is rest as you meet Jesus. Gentleness, humbleness, humility, kindness, and rest for your souls. Now you can leave here this morning and this could be an academic exercise. Oh, those were some interesting studies. Those are some nice observations. And you can go on your way. If you do, the weariness and the burdens that you're experiencing will just increase. But if today you hear the Lord saying to you, I'm talking to you, you're weary, you're burdened, do you hear this? He's not angry with you. It's compassion. Life is hard. It's full of difficulty. It's full of complexity. And we have a natural tendency to go try to find complex answers to complex questions. But if today you will hear this invitation, come to me and I will give you rest. You will indeed find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we are in need of rest. You invited us here to tell us that there is rest coming. There is rest available. So Lord, I pray for those who are weary and burdened. I pray, Lord, that they would hear this invitation and they would do something with it. God, I pray that they would respond. I pray that the Gospel of Matthew would be the most opened book in this congregation this week. I pray that less Netflix and less social media and less news media and less searches on the internet for rest and help in the midst of a troublesome life and more of you through the gospel of Matthew. Lord, would you please do this? 
And Father, we add our feeble voices to Jesus' voice. And we praise you, God, that you did it this way. Lord, thank you for hiding things from the wise and learned and revealing it to children. Give us childlike faith that we might experience the glory of what you've done. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.